and it's it's challenging, it's dangerous, and it's expensive. And I'm like, that's what I should do. That's the voice of Justin Ephraim, owner of Redux Wood, and I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Justin Ephraim, owner of the Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam furniture company, Redux Wood. Over 25 years in the industry, and Justin is still pushing forward. It is that drive, that passion, that need for more that makes him so successful at what he does. From an unpaid apprenticeship to working with some of the top brands in the furniture world. But his story is not only a story of how Justin succeeded. It's a story about the people and businesses around him that he worked with, coexisted with, and grew with that got him to where he is today. Follow along as we talk about the importance of collaborations, making eco-friendly not just a buzzword, why it's good to ask for help, and much more. Justin and I talk about so much in this episode, so let's jump right in and hear about Justin's journey in his own words. Before I graduated, actually in grade 11, I had both my knees operated on, kind of rebuilt actually when I was in grade 11. And I actually had to get uh, like high school credits because I I missed a year of school. Like I I basically was out of school for like eight months because of my knee surgeries. And uh, I got a job when I healed up, I got a job at a a land survey firm in uh, West Vancouver. And that basically was just a, a blessing job for me because I was young and strong, energetic. And they're like, you're going to run up that hill and measure that tree. So I did a, a lot of topical graphical design work on the North Shore in Vancouver. So I did a land surveying for residential, commercial, and in the forestry. And that was a great job. I did that for uh, three years, running around the North Shore mountains, measuring you know the mountain ranges and trees and doing the residential projects, commercial projects. And uh, working on the residential projects, you know, I basically was working on some very high-end homes, uh, custom-built homes on the North Shore. After the surveying job, I basically worked with a custom home, uh, a few custom home builders in West Vancouver. And uh, these were, you know, beautiful houses being built, uh, I think about a year and a half ago. The last house I built actually just sold for $22 million Canadian. And it was such an awesome job, such an amazing opportunity to build something like that. And I got really involved in the project, uh, 
you know, helping order some of the lumber and learning about woods from kind of around the world, all exotics and some obviously native to Vancouver. And uh, yeah, I just basically really liked wood. I was, you know, and I, I learned about the cost of, of some of these products that we were, uh, you know, putting into the house. And I remember ordering the, the decking package for this one house and it was like a quarter million. And I was like, holy cow. And uh, I found out uh, a company in Vancouver was opening a lumber yard near my neighborhood. It was called Dick's Lumber. And I contacted them. I talked to the manager there. And I said, hey, this is Justin. I, I hear you're opening a lumber yard in, on the North Shore. And I, I'm in. I, I want to be a sales guy. And he's like, great, Justin. Uh, we're not opening for about you know eight months or so. So I'll give you a call back. And I said, that's great news. I'll call you next week. I, I did call him the next week. I didn't bug him a lot, but I got that job and uh, it was an amazing job. You know, it was a great company to work for. And I, I worked for them for about seven years. And uh, I learned so much working at this uh, retail lumberyard. So it was a retail, it was quite a big outfit. They had, I think, at one point about 200 employees and uh, they were doing commercial projects, residential projects. And uh, I was dealing, you know, with people that needed wood for a bird cage. But then I also were doing, you know, supplying big lumber packages for uh, commercial projects. And uh, I, I got a, quite an education there. And so, uh, yeah, that's something I can suggest to people is get it. If you want to learn about wood, go work at a lumber yard. Right. And so I, I did that. And then uh, basically I wanted to do bigger volume. And uh, I became a lumber broker. So I, I worked for Olympic in Industries for three years or so. And uh, they were quite big in Vancouver. They were, they were a group doing about $500 million a year in lumber sales uh, throughout the United States and overseas. And uh, I learned a lot there also. Did that, you know, what an experience that was. That, that was a trading floor of about 15, uh, 15 guys and uh, pretty aggressive brokers. And I, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned that I wasn't that aggressive as a sale guy and I wasn't so cutthroat, you know, and uh, I met my wife, Tao, who was going to school in Vancouver and she was from the North. She's from Haiphong, Vietnam and got married. And I, I came over here to meet the family in 2006 and kind of was amazed with Vietnam and uh, went back to Vancouver after the holiday and the market kind of crashed 2007, 2008. And uh, that was my first time with some kind of recession, I guess. And uh, I knew it was going to be a bit slow and I, I couldn't really sell too much wood to California. I asked my wife if she wanted to move back to Vietnam and she's like, yeah. And so we moved here. And when I, when I moved to Vietnam, I had no idea about the, the industry here. I, I obviously, like we know that Vietnam produces furniture, but I didn't understand the scale uh, of what they produce here. You know, I, I was at a coffee shop and uh, there was a typhoon, so it was the rainy season. And there was one other guy in this coffee shop and it, it was crazy typhoon outside. And, uh, you, you know, you go up to people here like, you know, hey, how are you? I was new to Vietnam. I'm like, hey, I'm Justin. I've been here for three months. And uh, this guy, Maury, was in the coffee shop and he was actually managing a, a lumber a brokerage from here in Ho Chi Minh City. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I, I'm a lumber broker myself. And we talked for two hours and uh, he literally hired me the next day uh, 
part-time as kind of a, a sal- like a, a local salary. And because, uh, you know, they, they just couldn't, it wasn't in their budget to hire some uh, expat foreigner, you know, right, right off the bat. And uh, I was in, I didn't care about the money, right? So I'm just like, yeah, I get to work for a, a pretty large uh, brokerage firm and uh, learn about the industry here in Vietnam. And I'll tell you, I, I learned how little I knew about the industry or lumber in general. Uh, that was an amazing job. So I was basically handed the position to help market and uh, create the veneer division for uh, a Danish firm. So that they were a, a big group. They were uh, listed on the Danish uh, stock exchange. They had, you know, 50 offices around the world. So I basically was buying veneers from around the world. And uh, they, had, they hadn't really even started the program. And, you know, no kidding, within two years, I had started up a $2 million business, organic business with this group. And uh, that was really interesting, you know, buying, you know, we were basically, I managed about, I, don't, I was selling probably about a, a million square meters a month of veneers which was mind blowing to me. Like, I don't know if you're visual, Ethan, but like, that's a lot of veneer. And uh, I was working with big furniture groups here. And you got to understand like the, when I say big groups here, like the biggest furniture producers in the world are here. And, uh, you know, I was at a factory uh, the other week and, you know, they had 2000 employees and they were doubling in the next couple months. So I've worked with factories here that have 10,000 employees, 5,000 employees. And uh, I kind of got the itch to kind of do things myself. I was kind of, you know, being a broker, you know, in the lumber industry, you know, I I came at a a good time here in Vietnam and I I, I helped a lot of people, but I, I could see that things were evolving and it was getting pretty competitive, the industry here, uh, you know, you got to realize that Vietnam was kind of really didn't open up till the 70s, right? And so, uh, you know, it was still, you know, the furniture production's been happening here for a few decades, obviously, but it's still kind of new, I, I want to say. And uh, I was looking for something bigger and better. I think that's one thing I'm always, you know, I have these uh, goals or this vision of, you know, I'm very grateful to have uh, acquired all these targets I hit. Like, I want to learn about lumber. Okay, so I got a job at a lumber yard. I want to do wholesale now. I want to do some, you know, volume. You know, I'm talking like rail cars. I did that. Uh, You know, I got into Vietnam here and I'm like, wow, I, I want to work with the biggest companies in the world in the furniture industry. And, you know, I was having dinner with Gary Friedman, the CEO of Restoration Hardware. And, you know, I've worked with some of the biggest leading designers in the world here. And uh, I, I've been very blessed in this industry, Ethan, uh, to have done what I've done. And I'm pretty confident to say I've probably imported almost a thousand containers of wood products into Vietnam the last 13 years. The volume of material that you've sold over the years is impressive, but also the volume of the stories that you have, the the experience that you have in the industry for 25 plus years, it's such a, a strong foundation. It's an impressive story to say the least. Thanks, Ethan. And you know, I, I gotta say like, it, it's, 
the last, you know, five years, especially, I, I couldn't have done it without the support of my, you know, my partners and, you know, my family here, you know, this is a, we thing. This is a, we program that we're doing. Yeah. I might be the kind of conductor, but uh, you know, I have a great team behind me and uh, it's a team effort. And I, I've surrounded myself around, a, you know, awesome people that are like-minded and passionate about what we do. You can't scale a business like yours to the place that it is alone without having people behind you. And that yeah. that team is, yes, like you said, you're the conductor of the orchestra, but that team is what's making the music. Right. We can all hear that you've worked for a lot of different people in this industry. You've had a lot of different experiences in this industry, but I can also hear that you wanted to do something on your own. You had that entrepreneurial spirit of going out on your own, making your own business and putting your own flag in the ground and having something that was yours. So tell me about how you started your business, how you went out on your own and made your own thing you know i should skirt back a little bit here and kind of talk about the live edge program so you know then we'll talk this is going to mold into our uh our current what we're doing here i i guess it was about 10 years ago when i was kind of getting that itch again to do something different or, or actually be independent you know i i i was very blessed to work for these big you know the the lumber yard uh, the trading firm in Vancouver and the, the brokerage firm here, they, they were all stepping stones, you know, but I, I think I, I, I realized I was putting so much energy into these companies and uh, Ethan, I helped make them make millions. I'm going to say that millions, but what had happened is, you know, I started looking at the live edge a bit more and I was going, you know, Working for these big groups in the, in the industry, I was learning, you know, how much wood is kind of available, right? And I, I you know, this going to cost in Perota, and I'm not prejudiced against the wood by any means, but I kind of found out that, you know, I could easily buy, you know, 20 or 30 containers a month of the species because, you know, from Central America, South America, it's coming from Colombia, Ecuador, Costa Rica, you know, Panama. And I was like, whoa, this is, it, it actually didn't sound right. Ethan, it didn't kind of, I was just like this, how is this all sustainably sourced? Like, how is this, is this sustainably sourced? You know, that's the buzzword everyone uses. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how can you supply me, you know, a thousand live edge slabs and it all magically be sustainably sourced, you know? And I, I started, you know, uh, you know, looking into live edge a bit more. This is just over a decade ago. And I, and uh, it was, I found a couple companies on the West Coast. And, you know, these, this company was selling live edge wood for like, you know, $20,000 a top. And I was kind of going, oh my God, what? <laughs> right? I was like, it was madness. And I, I'm looking behind me and, you know, there's, I have like 300 slabs sitting in my inventory, right? And uh, I got pressure from a couple furniture companies here to actually focus more with them focus more. They wanted more of my attention. And I, I couldn't do it because I was a, a sales manager and I had a team and I was kind of like, you know, working with, you know, 30 other companies and I couldn't just drop them like without support. And anyhow, long story short, 
I, I started my own company. You know, I, I made an agreement with a couple of these uh, furniture companies that I would focus my attention as much as I could on them. Uh, but, you know, they have to, you know, really work closely with me and realize I, I couldn't float a quarter million dollars on my own financially on uh, these um, containers. You know, some, some of these uh, positions, it takes a lot of money on the water, Ethan. So it's a little bit nerve wracking. So what happened is when I started my own company, I was kind of going, I got to do something different because I could see, I could see the industry getting a bit more competitive and, you know, there's bigger groups coming in here and I started losing some orders and I'm like, I got to do something like different and unique that I'm, it's also within my, uh, you know, my experience levels. And, uh, I, I found these Canadians were, uh, had the concession rights for Lake Attune, Panama in Panama, they were harvesting exotic tropical hardwoods from the freshwater lakes there. And I'm just like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of working with the, the furniture guys here and I'm like, well, look at this program here. And uh, they're like, yeah, kid, it's amazing. You can't get it though. You know, that they, they looked into it and, you know, this underwater harvesting and salvage getting these trees from freshwater lakes is not easy, Ethan, at all. And it's it's challenging, it's dangerous, and it's expensive. And I'm like, that's what I should do. And I, I flew down to Panama and I met with this team and I was blown away, Ethan. Now, like there's a lot of freshwater lakes around the world. There's a lot of wood around the world. Obviously there's, you know, Canada, US, Africa, China, everywhere, Australia. Uh, but what intrigued me about you know, the region of Central America is some of these species only grow there. They only grow there. Some of the species that I saw in Central America, A, I'd never heard of some of them. And everyone I'd worked with in the industry, which was quite broad, had never heard of them. This is something that I can focus on. And so when I flew down there, uh, they had like 15 containers sitting there of logs from Lake Gatun, Panama. You know, this is wood that was underwater, uh, submerged for a century, Ethan, 100 years underwater. And I phoned up my friend and I'm like, geez, you, you know, we should get some of this. I, I think this is just brilliant. The wood looks incredible. And I think we should, you know, market this. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So we shipped uh, five containers originally right away to Vietnam and, uh, you know, shipped some, there were some slabs sitting there and I, I got the logs. I, I cut the logs here, all the logs that was received. And over the course of uh, five years, we acquired about 20 containers uh, from the underwater harvesting program. You know, again, I was kind of the wholesaler, right? Like I want to do volume and this is not a volume program. This is a boutique operation. Like you, you can't, it's not easy to get this wood, you know, uh, these guys are going underwater 20, 20 feet plus and spending, you know, hours underwater at a time cutting a tree. You know, it, it's complicated. It definitely doesn't sound easy. It doesn't sound easy at all. Any aspects of it from the sourcing it to the actual harvesting of the wood to to transporting it to then cutting it up in your shop, making the pieces look presentable and then getting them ready for furniture or to sell none of it none of it sounds easy but it definitely sounds like you had 
a passion for it. It definitely felt like that was what you wanted to do. So once you got these containers back to your space and were able to start cleaning them up and getting them ready for sale, what were the next steps in building your business? Okay, so uh, basically when we had all these logs sitting here and finally cut and stacked and uh, drawing slowly, uh, again, uh, being the wholesaler, I was working with factories here and uh, trying to get people to buy, you know, container loads. And I managed to do that, actually. I, I presented a, a range to one of the big factors here that were working with restoration hardware. And uh, I managed to sell a couple containers of these underwater slabs. You know, it's just a remarkable. And uh, what had happened is there was a, a group here and actually the chairman of the Furniture Association came to from Vietnam. So this is the Grand Poobah in Vietnam, in my opinion. He came to my factory and he's like, kid, I want it all. And he wanted to buy it all. And I'm like, you know, Con, I appreciate that, but it's not all for sale. How about we work on, you know, 20 slabs? Like, let's work on negotiating, you know, come in and select. And so he, he picked out, you know, 25 pieces and then his staff came in the next day and uh, kind of to over to measure everything, make sure everything's correct and on the same page. And uh, they rejected one of these beautiful slabs. And this is one of the tops that I thought was like one of the Ferraris. And I'm like, look at this, you know, it's this giant, you know, first growth uh top that was you know four and a half feet wide by 14 feet in length and yeah it had a defect in the center but i could see that it had crotch going on it and figure like it was just a masterpiece and i phoned uh con up and i'm like hey con your, your staff you know that piece that we were looking at they rejected it right and he's like don't worry about justin we'll come back and get it next month and anyhow uh I really wanted to see what this piece would look like finished. So I, you know, got a couple guys in the facility and uh, we've, we've processed it. But Ethan, when I finished it, I ended up selling it for 17,000 USD <laughs> to a, a, a customer in the Netherlands. And I was like, oh, snap, that's incredible. Because, you know, I was offering it to Con at a significantly less price. I kind of like, I should probably be doing this. And, you know, I was getting frustrated again with the guys I was working with, the big furniture companies, because they weren't doing what they should do with what I was offering them. And I realized that that wasn't their model. You know, these guys were on scale. Like when I met with, uh, you know, the CEO of Restoration Hardware, Justin, this is incredible. I need a thousand, <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, you know, we've got five from the same tree, you know, and it just didn't work. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to make this happen. And so we, we hired a, a few more guys and we started finishing and uh, we, we just sort of slowly built ourselves up. And I, I guess five years in to Redux Wood being born, the specialized live edge provider, uh, my best friend in Vancouver you know, wanted to buy a dining table, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, great. You know, he's been watching me, him and his wife, Monica, they were watching me for, uh, you know, three years in Vietnam and doing what I'm doing. And they loved what I was doing. And he's, and I offered him a table and 
I think he, it was a little bit too high. And I'm like, well, my man, it's coming from Vietnam. It's just one. <laughs> you know, it's like there's it's a big job to get one table over there, a big one like this. And he's like, well, what if I bought 50 of them? I'm like, well, now we're talking. And uh, he flew over here with his wife and they literally picked out 50 beautiful talks. And, uh, you know, Redux Wood was born in uh, Vancouver. And uh, it, it's been so amazing working with them. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for their, uh, you know, partnering up with me. Uh, Conrad's invested in Monica and his family. His whole family's invested a lot of time into this program. And it's become a, a, an awesome company. You said sustainability and things like that are buzzwords in the industry and they are we can't lie to ourselves and say that people don't throw those words around maybe without the real backing of what they should mean but that's something that that stood out to you that really made a difference in your mind and you thought these words shouldn't just be words on paper they should have a real standing in what I do. How did you go about putting that idea into practice on the mental side of it, but also on the physical side in the real world? How did you go about getting your lumber certified, getting your furniture certified and really practicing what you're preaching? Okay, those are good questions. The wood that we secured from these freshwater lakes, there's three concessions we work with within Central America, okay? And I'm going to backpedal a bit. This, this wood really isn't sustainable. It's all dead. Uh, you know, but, what, what, but that's the beauty of what we're focused on is these are, you know, first growth trees, real exotic tropical hardwoods, and they're all dead, right? So... They're not sustainable, but guess what? We're not cutting living trees for a majority of our program. They're, they're, they're not living trees. So this is something that, you know, made sense to me. It's like, you know, when I was doing the wholesale for, you know, doing the live edge wholesale program, you know, it just, I didn't feel kind of right. I'm like, this is not sustainable. And then I, I found this and I'm like, well, Neither this, but we're not harming living trees, you know, and I got, I was fortunate enough to get FSC certifications for this. So we are FSC certified. Um, the unfortunate thing is that this wood is, you know, it's not sustainable, so it doesn't really fit the mold of FSC, but the, the council recognized that, hey, Justin's not harming living trees. It's not replantable product. It's not sustainable but he's not cutting living trees. So they granted us an FSC controlled wood certification. And uh, I also had to get FSC because, uh, certified because I do work with companies uh, like Ikea and Crate and Barrel and Pottery Barn and you know they require FSC products. So I got my FSC certifications. You know, when you, when you come visit me, and I know you will, you're gonna see our facility and you're going to see hundreds of live edge slabs that are just sitting there. They're not twisting or cupping or bowing any of them because all the natural stresses have been removed. They are intrinsically more stable, inherently more stable. Uh, you know, it's a real premium product. And uh, I like to think we're 
building some of the highest end live edge furniture in the world. The idea of shipping containers of wood all over the world is very foreign to the average furniture maker, the average woodworker. But the idea of shipping in general is very common to a lot of furniture makers. And the idea of shipping being a problem and an issue and a stress point for a lot of companies is definitely a real thing in this industry. You are shipping, yes, shipping containers, but you're also shipping furniture, finished furniture to your showrooms all around the world. People have problems shipping a table to the next town over. How are you shipping these pieces, these finished pieces all over the world? Good question. So uh, yeah, like we're, we're shipping some pretty big and uh, expensive tables around the world. And we work with uh, specific groups that specialize in like, let's say white glove service. And, uh, you know, we pay for that. And I, I think our customers, you know, don't mind paying for that. Working with teams and, you know, talking to people, it's, you know, hey, you know, when I started out, it's like, hey, man, I got to get this table to the Netherlands. How do I get it to the Netherlands? <laughs> you know, and it hasn't been smooth sailing. You know, I have, uh, I have, you know, products going everywhere right now. And I've got to, you know, I've got a, a table that just landed in Vancouver and customs has it. They're asking questions and it's challenging. I deal with challenges, but again, I think it's worth, you know, asking people and uh, I'm always around if people want to reach out. I, I like helping everyone. I, Ethan, I'd like to think that I'm an agent of uh, knowledge for people. I, I don't mind helping people out. You know, that's my job. Actually, that's how I got, I want to say, uh, so successful is I actually help people. The cost of handling or materials is obviously important. But, you know, when we're trying to focus on these high-end products, like, Price is the last concern for me. I want value and uh, it, it's a costly process, but you know, when you're, you're you know, exporting or selling a $30,000 table, you want it to arrive white glove service. And uh, so just reach out to, um, you know, do some, do your own research, do your due diligence, find out what are the policies they have. Uh, you know, what happens if there's a problem? What happens if it gets damaged? Do you have insurance? So, that's basically it. The wealth of information on the internet, Ethan. There is definitely a lot of information on the internet. You have a lot of information, but I think the internet probably uh, probably beats you out on a lot on a lot of parts. yeah. The internet's king. <laughs> Shipping is a stressful thing, but being able to ship things is a good thing because that means you have clients. That means you have people buying your product. That means you have people buying your furniture and want to pay you money to get what you're making. You have showrooms. I believe you have five showrooms internationally. What's the process of a customer trying to get a piece of furniture from you? Is it all coming from the showrooms? Is it coming from customers reaching out to you directly? How does that process look? And then what are the next steps after they reach out to you? How do you actually go about producing the furniture? 
That's a good question. So uh, multiple streams. Uh, so I got pretty active on social media uh, five years ago. Uh, was it five years ago? A friend reached out, you know, said I should be on Instagram and I kind of downplayed it a bit, but you know, uh, I had, I was kind of, so I, I joined Instagram and I found a couple people that were in the lumber industry and, uh, you know, actually I was kind of surprised what they were saying and they were actually a bit misinformed. <laughs> so I was kind of like, Oh, this is interesting. And, uh, I started just getting more active on social media. You know, I was uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, I was on LinkedIn before uh, Instagram or Facebook. Well, I was on Facebook uh, quite way back. And uh, customers reach out to me from all over the world uh, through our showrooms. You know, I, I say we are the mothership in Vietnam. So we are, the, you know, we got the big team here. We've got the big wood here. We kind of handle the big wild projects here. Uh, I don't know, Ethan, if you saw the last project we finished, but we built a round table that was a 44 and a half feet in circumference. I've been drooling over the pictures of that. There's no way through an audio format like this to be able to show how amazing that table is. But when customers reach out to me, you know, it's through channels, uh, it's referrals, uh, you know, through the showrooms, uh, reaching out directly. When, when a, a customer reaches out to me, it's like, hey, I'm interested in the live edge table. This is the what I like. And, you know, I, I send them options of species. You know, this is one thing that's important, Ethan, is having a kind of a diversified portfolio. Uh, you know, we have every color for every individual. Uh, you know, we have probably, a, I think, about seven or eight different species that we work with. And everyone's taste is a little bit different. So, you know, I'll spend the time with the customer. We'll do a live chat, you know, technology. It's like we got, you know, I'll basically, we'll do a live stream. I'll tour the facility and I'll say, I'll pull out some pieces. And I, I think, it, what do you think about this piece? And, you know, we, we go from there and we discuss leg designs and it's very much custom. And most of the time, you know, we're on the other side of the planet, you know, and uh, handling and logistics has been upside down the last few years. So, it takes a few months to get your product from me, but it's well worth the wait. And people understand that because they, they know they're getting something, you know, pretty special and unique. And, you know, they love getting it from the Canadian lumberjack living in Vietnam. That's a great picture, by the way, a, a, great, a great description of you. And I think that whenever people ask me about you, I will reference that quote from you. Right on. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, we're, I want to offer something really spectacular and special, right? This is not something that's just found in Aunt Betty's backyard. You know, we have serious history in our products and we do source some within Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, basically, if, you know, literally, if I'm driving along the road and I see some unique log that's sitting there or something, or it's been taken down because of expansion. You've got to realize, uh, Ethan, in, in Asia here, you know, in Southeast Asia, I don't want to say we're kind of developing, but we're, you know, a little bit behind the times here. So we're kind of, you know, infrastructure and expanding is, is relatively new here, you know. So we're, we're, you know, we're making highways and roadways here. And lo and behold, uh, 
some of these trees have to be pulled down. Uh, and I'm lucky to work with the network I work with here. And I, I see a special log. Uh, there's some serious history on some of these pieces within Southeast Asia. There's all different levels of the same thing, like social media, being on Instagram. People sign up for Instagram and they can be selling their small cutting boards or you sign up yeah. for Instagram and you're selling $50,000 tables and shipping them internationally, but it's the same platform and it's the same concept. And there's people who are driving along the road and they see a piece of wood that they like and they take it and they use it for their project. And you could be driving along and see, you know, 20 down trees that were cut down for a highway and and you take all of those. And it's the same concept from the smallest to the biggest. It just depends on how you want to scale what you're doing. And there's nothing wrong with using a platform to sell a small cutting board. And there's nothing wrong with using these platforms and these ideas to sell hundreds and hundreds of tables. It's just how you want to have your furniture company. You know, get busy on social media. Like, and I'm not in, by any means a social influencer at all. I, I'm a wood guy and I, I build tables. And I, you know, you can make the most unique thing in the world. And if you don't show people, no one's going to know. And it's, they're, they're free platforms. And, you know, I'm in Vietnam. No one, no one looks up live edge wood from Vietnam. You know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't happen. So I, I get very aggressive on all platforms. And, you know, um, I love it when I get, you know, messages going, Jesus, every time I open my phone, you're there. And it's like, I, people need, I, you need to be aggressive and let people know what you're doing. I think 50% of my earnings is because of social media. Like if not more, maybe it's 70%. You know, so I'm, I'm very grateful to these free platforms. Like, yeah, sometimes I get resentful. I don't think it's being shown enough, but whatever, it's probably the algorithm. I'm in Vietnam. I don't know. But, you know, I, one of the things I'm lucky about here is we always like create. So while we wait, we create, we never sit idle when I'm always wanting to, uh, I've just hired a bunch of more guys, a, a few more guys. And, uh, I, I might hire a bunch more. I constantly want to create, you know, and I think that's so important. It's just, you know, don't sit back and twiddle your thumbs, go build something. And charcuterie boards, I love making them. And it, the, we don't have any waste at our facility. And, you know, we joined up with Rustic Designs by Rich. Lo and behold, I'm building 500 charcuterie boards for them right now. You know, it's like, I think it's great. I love seeing people get successful uh, finding something they like to make. And maybe it's just a part-time gig. I think that's just awesome. Mate, you know, get busy. You know, uh, I'm driven. Uh, I don't know where I got this drive, but yeah, I'm a woodsman and, you know, we make beautiful furniture, but I, I like to hustle. And, you know, I could sell a, you know, a million dollar package this morning and uh, tomorrow I would wake up and say, okay, what's next? That hustle. That hustle is what got you to where you are today. And that's the beauty of the furniture business and the furniture industry yeah. that everybody can have their own type of 
furniture company and they can do it the way they want it to be done. They don't have to follow a blueprint of somebody else. They can make their own company the way they want it to be. Yeah. And it's just trying, you know, and it's like, man, I've had some, you know, dark days here in Vietnam in my facility. You know, it's, it has not been, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, I, I watch some companies and, you know, some people are doing very well. And it's like, you know, it, you know, to be in Vietnam and to have had this company for a decade, uh, I'm very blessed and grateful because, uh, geez, man, Vietnam is not easy. Like it's a, it's a definite challenge over here. And again, it's, you know, support of family and friends, my partners, but, uh, you know, I've had challenging moments and things haven't worked out. I just, you know, this is what we have to do now. And, you know, working with my partner, you know, pushing me, it's like, they've been pushing me to kind of get out of the wholesale game and to focus more on the specific specified live edge tops. And, and guess what, uh, Ethan, I, I just, I didn't realize, but you're, uh, you interviewed uh, Martin Goble uh, a while back. Yes. Great interview. Yeah. Right. So Martin was just here three weeks ago. Yeah. I, I love Martin. And, you know, so, you know, long and behold, we're, we're going to work together on a few projects and we're, I, I'm, I'm honored to work with him. You know, I, I find him a very talented master craftsman that's, you know, design oriented, like he's got all the skills you can imagine. Right. And, you know, this is what I love about our industry. Also, it's like you can reach out to people and work with people, you know, and it's been funny because I've reached out to a couple other people. They're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, why wouldn't you want to collaborate or work with other groups? Like I, I get brand and I get image like, but if you, if you both have good brand and both image, why would you not work together or try to figure it out? I can't speak specifics on that because everybody yeah. has different reasons, but right. there is the idea of competition. And I know that you know that being in the competitive lumber business for a long time, competition is a real thing, especially in this industry. But there's also that idea that you have that competition is a good thing. If you're all succeeding, then why not work together and succeed faster together? For people out there who, who feel that way as well and are hearing this and think, yes, I'd love to collaborate with people. How have you started these collaborations with different furniture makers, different people in the industry? And how have you worked to make those successful? Well, good question again. So, uh, you know, just reaching out to people and, you know, commenting right away on, you know, things they've made. It's just like, wow, fantastic. You know, and you can do a, a direct message to them. Like, I really, you know, like that table you made. And, you know, in Martin's case, it's like, wow, I love this chair that you made, Martin. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, he reached out to me too saying, you know, is this something that we can maybe collaborate on in Vietnam? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's try. And so, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I appreciate what you say. It, you know, there's a lot of competition, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I look at it as like the more people that work with you or join you, uh, the more you're going to get known. Like, you know, Ethan, my, our social media presence has grown to maybe a quarter of a million in the last year. 
you know, and that, that blows my mind. It's like, you know, we joined Rustic Designs by Rich. We're going to be in the UK, you know, working with Martin on a couple programs, you know, and it's just getting our name out there. But like if someone reaches out to me here and, and says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of doing this. And if it intrigues me, I'll work with them. You know, everyone wants to talk about their business. I can just hear people who are listening to this thinking, oh, it's easy for him to reach out because he has a quarter million followers under his belt. And that's an easy thing to do. But it goes back to what we were talking about before, that these ideas can work at any level. They can work at the level that you're at. They can also work at a level of people having a hundred followers. Right. I started with one. I started with one. And the idea of reaching out and making connections isn't necessarily a follower count. It's not necessarily a popularity contest. It can be like-minded people. You can have the same ideas. It can be like-minded designs. It can be all of these things. So people shouldn't be afraid to reach out if they want to open up their community. I'm not saying that everybody all the time gives a thumbs up and says, yes, let's work together or yes, let's talk. But the idea of this industry and this community that we find ourselves in is a very collaborative one. And people are looking to connect to other people. So never be afraid to reach out with that in mind. Never be upset if the person you're reaching out to is not reciprocal. Right. Yeah, no, I, I've reached out to uh, quite a few people and basically almost not gotten the time of day. And, you know, that's water off the back. Like, you know, I'm in sales. Rejections are just, you know, water off the back, you know. And, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of an ego kick, but, you know, you just keep on doing, you keep on doing. That idea of, of just water off your back is is something that that you really need to have if you are doing, if you are starting your own business, if you're running your own business, because it's your, it's a part of you. When you start it, it's a part of you. It, it becomes your flesh and blood. You eat, sleep, and breathe this company. But just because it's important to you doesn't mean it's important to everybody else out there. And you, yeah, can, sure. and you can start your company and it can be your everything but it just doesn't go anywhere. And you have to remember that you need to build your company. You need to find your customers and not everybody is a customer. And you have to remember that rejection is a thing that people say, no, that people say no. And it's not the end of the world. If that happens, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. Yes. It hurts your bottom line. Yes. It can be stressful, but if you want to make your company the way you want to make your company, you need to remember that you're going to get a lot of no's before you get the yeses. Oh, thousands of no's. Thousands. You've been in this industry for a long time, from the buying to the selling to the lumber to the materials to the actual finished product. You've seen pretty much every angle that this industry has. In that time, you've learned about the furniture craft and about the way to run a business. 
there are people who are listening who are brand new to this. It could be their first year in business, or they might not even have a company yet, but they want to have a company, but they are passionate about the furniture industry. And then there's people who have had years of experience, have been doing this for a while, have seen the industry in and out, but feel like they're not getting everything that they could be from their company. What's some advice that you could share about the industry, about how you've grown your company, about how you continue to be a success in this industry? So I, I think, you know, these are good questions, Ethan, and I, I hope I can inspire someone or direct them a bit. I, I've had a few jobs where I actually worked for one of the, actually the, going back to the land surveying job. I actually had to do that kind of as a volunteer because I was getting my high school credits. <laughs> right. But what I mean is I, I got no salary for six months of that because I was doing high school credits. When I worked for DLH here, the lumber brokerage firm in Vietnam, I worked as a, a local salary, uh, you know, which is significantly less than I was in the, you know, Canada. Uh, I think working, working with groups, uh, reaching out to, you know, companies within your neighborhood, like there's amazing builders around the world, all over the world. And you know what? There's probably a couple right down the street from you. And there's nothing wrong with volunteering your time or apprenticing. I almost wanted to apprentice with someone in Thailand, I guess a, a few years ago. I'm like, I should be working with this guy, <laughs> right? Because I was really amazed in what this guy was doing and, and accomplished. And, uh, you know, uh, and as far as someone that's experienced, I, I still think that collaborating with people is the future. You know, I, I think if you have someone that's similar passion and they build similar products and you guys merge together and do something awesome, like together, try it out. You know, that, that's what we've done. I really appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge and your wealth of experience with everybody listening. You have a lot to share. And I know that we could keep going for a very <laughs> long time, for hours, <laughs> for for days, even <laughs> days, buddy. I got stories, Ethan. You went, yeah, I blow your mind. But I feel like what you've talked about is going to be a great help for people who are listening to this. So I just want to thank you for you sharing your time and your experience and sharing the knowledge that you've gained in the industry. I truly appreciate it, and I wish you continued success in everything that you do. Thanks, Ethan. I, I appreciate you doing this. I hope I inspired a couple people and, uh, you know, getting the word out. It's, uh, you know, I, it's important for everyone. Just when you build something beautiful, show it. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. 
The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Amerson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.